0: Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast at the Cowboy Church of Ellis County. Let's go the Lord in word of prayer. Gracious Father God, we thank you for the time of worship that we've had this morning. And Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would do a work among us today. I pray, Father God, that you would touch hearts. I pray, Father God, that you would stir our minds and challenge us. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that we might leave out of this place today having a little bit different understanding of our relationship with you and and how we walk in fellowship with you. Lord, I pray that um, your power will be manifest here today, not for my sake, but for the sake of your people who have gathered to hear your word. i lift it to you this morning in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, if you was with us last week... I told you a little bit about what makes us tick as a church, what, it, what lies at the heart of everything that we do. And if you remember last week, we talked a little bit about our mission statement. Don't show them yet. How many of you remember what it is? I like you raise hands, but I like it better if you say what it is. Oh my goodness, I'm a failure. Put it on the screen. Changing lives. Last week, uh, we we talked about the mission statement, which is changing lives by boldly proclaiming the gospel to the Western culture, and I said central to everything that we do is really in those first two words, which is changing lives. But the reality is, guys, that I can't change a life and you can't change a life. The only person that can change a life is God. We depend upon His power to do that. Unless God and His Holy Spirit accompany the preaching of the gospel, nothing that I say to you and nothing that you say to me is going to make a difference. But if God's Spirit accompanies the preaching of the gospel, or if God's Spirit accompanies our testimony when we talk to someone about the Lord, then there's a pretty good chance that that, that person might be touched for the Lord. Amen? And so everything depends upon God, not upon us. And that's why as a church, uh, one of our main values that we hold dear is the value of prayer. If you've been through Saddle Up, and I hope most of you have by now. If you haven't, you can start signing up. We're going to start back January 1st. But if you haven't, there's some values we're going to teach you. These are our values. Praying fervently, preaching boldly, laboring together... Offering hope and keeping it country. Everything that we do as a church passes under these lenses. That's how we evaluate our our ministries and what it is that we do. But you notice what the very number one is, right? Praying fervently. And that simply is because if God is not involved in something that we do, then it's not going to accomplish anything in the spiritual realm. And, and that's why prayer always has to be a part of the mix of what we do as a church, and very frankly, what we all do together as Christian brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so, this morning, I want to spend just a few minutes talking about the power of prayer, and how we can put that to use in our lives. And if you would, if you'd open your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts, chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. This is going to be our primary... Passage for the day, and so you might want to mark it in your Bible. We'll drift off of it a little bit, but we will be coming back to it later. Acts chapter 12, beginning verse 1. This is an example of the power of prayer at work in the church. Acts chapter 12, beginning verse 1. It says, about that time King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the Apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. And Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. And the angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up! And the chains fell off of his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals, and he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard post and came to the gate leading to the city, and this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street, and then the angel left him. Peter came to his senses and said, It's really true. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. And he knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. But when she insisted, they decided, well, it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. And when they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. And he motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had let him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said. And then he went to another place. At dawn, there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what had happened to Peter. And Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him. And when he couldn't be found, Herod interrogated the guards and sentenced them to death. Afterward, Herod left Judea. To stay in Caesarea for a while. Well, as I said, this is an example of the power of prayer. And in Acts chapter 12, what we're seeing is a time in which the church is undergoing extreme persecution. The powers or the authorities had never been a friend of the Jesus movement. Neither the Roman authorities nor the Jewish authorities thought much of it. As a matter of fact, that's why they crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, there is politics involved in it. We know that Christ died for a reason. But politically, he was put to death because he was leading a movement that no one wanted to see happen. And, and, and now, this very clever politician, Herod Agrippa, I, I read about him in, in preparation for this study. He was a very oily, slick politician. And he figured out pretty quick that the people that he oversaw, the Jews, really didn't have any use for the Christian movement. And so he arrested one of the leaders, one of the key leaders, by the name of James, and had him put to death with the sword, and his stock went way up among the Jewish people, which also caused his stock to rise among the Roman leaders. And so he said, you know what, that works so good, I believe I'm just going to keep on doing this. And so then he arrested the most influential member of the church at that point in time, which was, in fact, the Apostle Peter. And he uh, had him put in prison. And he had every intention of putting on a big show trial that everybody could see, making an example out of him, and basically persecuting the church completely out of existence. A lot of times, you know, I believe God's church will always stand. But sometimes we make the mistake of believing that it always has to stand everywhere all the time, and it doesn't. If there's one thing that we can see going on in the Middle East, even during this time in which we live, it is if there is enough bloodshed and persecution, you can flush or force Christians out of an area pretty effectively. And this was a real possibility back at this time. It was possible that that the church might be put down even before it really got its sea legs under it. But instead of being able to put Peter to death and make an example of him, and instead of just increasing the bloodshed in the church, God does this amazing thing. He comes to Peter, who it says was extremely well guarded by 16 soldiers. doesn't mean that 16 were guarding him all at once. But the Bible does say that he was chained to two other men, two other guards. And then in addition to that, there were two guards at the gate and probably two guards at the exterior doors. So so there was a lot of attention being given to keeping Peter in prison. I'm sure that Herod Agrippa counted it very, very important that he be able to execute this man. And so he put a lot of labor into it, a lot of attention to it. And somehow, as hopeless as that was, in the middle of the night, the chains fall off this guy. The guards, it doesn't tell us what happened to him. I don't know if they went to sleep or God blinded them. I don't know what happened, but they just strolled right out of the prison. How did that happen? Verse 5 tells us what really lie behind everything. Verse 5, Acts chapter 12. It says, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. That's the key to everything here. That's the power of prayer. The reason this miracle happened that set Peter free and and set the church up very honestly to begin to expand even faster was the fact that the church was praying for him. It was a miracle. Listen, those people had no idea that God was going to do what God did in such a miraculous fashion. And we see this kind of pattern set all throughout the Scripture. As a matter of fact, if you get the opportunity in your connect groups this week, and I hope you have a connect group. If you don't, I know a guy that will sell you one right over there. But I hope that you'll take some time this week to go back to Exodus chapter 1 and chapter 2. I'm not going to go back and read it to you this morning because it's a long passage of Scripture. But it talks about the season in which Israel was enslaved to the Egyptians. How the Egyptians saw how they were multiplying the, the Jewish community, or the Hebrew community as it was known then, was, was expanding very rapidly. And the Egyptians began to be concerned about it. And they said, you know what, there's a lot of them folks. And if they ever turn against us or they join our enemies when there's an invasion, we're going to be in real trouble, so we need to get a control, we, we, we need to get a handle on this. And so they began to enslave them, and they, and they pressed them into forced labor, and they worked them harder and harder. And, and, and eventually, it even came to the point where they were so concerned about the expansion of the Hebrew people that they said to, to the midwives, they said, you know what, you need to start uh, basically causing the women or forcing the women to drown the male babies in the Nile River. And the Hebrew people living under all of that oppression, the Bible says, cried out to God. And God began to do miracles in their midst that they couldn't have prayed for because they didn't have enough imagination to pray for it. If you remember the account of the twelve plagues, I mean the frogs and the gnats and the hail and the darkness and the, the plague of the firstborn, I mean all of it was too fantastic. Nobody would have ever thought of God delivering them in that kind of way. And when God finally did deliver them and they're heading out of Egypt, here comes Pharaoh and his army and there's the Red Sea and it looks like this is going to be the end for them. God parts the Red Sea, they walk through on dry ground and God drowns the whole Egyptian army. I promise you they didn't even have the imagination to pray this way. And yet this is very typical of some of the miracles that we see in Scripture. It's, it, it is demonstrating to us the power of prayer. But I think that it is very, very important for us to understand where the power of prayer really comes from. Because guys, the power of prayer doesn't depend on you or me or even, on in, even in prayer itself. It depends upon the power of God. And that's an important distinction. Why do I say that? Well, because very frankly, there's some pretty funny ideas out there about prayer today. For example, there's a school of thought that says the, the power of prayer is depending upon how hard you pray or how long you pray or how earnestly you pray. But if you want something bad enough and you go to God and you cry out loud enough and you cry out long enough, then God will hear your prayer and He will move. And so according to this way of thinking, there is a direct correlation between how hard you pray and whether or not your prayers are answered. Maybe you've heard that. I've heard that. There are some people who I respect greatly who who preach exactly that. Then there's another school of thought that says, you know what, the power of prayer lies in your belief. If you know exactly what it is that you want, and you pray for it in exactly the right way, and you believe perfectly 100 percent that it's going to happen then based upon your strong belief that it's going to happen God will do that thing for you in other words if I've got cancer and I believe in my heart 100 percent that God's going to heal my cancer And I stand upon that belief and I am faithful in prayer and asking God to take that cancer from me according to this school of thought because of my certainty in my belief and in my faith in God, that cancer is going to be taken away from me. What's the problem with that? Well, the problem with that is that uh, sometimes it doesn't work out that way. not saying it never does. Sometimes it does. But almost all of us in here know of at least one man who stood on this stage for a long, long time, Sean Woodward, one of our band members, who had a serious cancer. And he 100%, I can tell you this, I knew Sean well. Sean was a member of our connect group. And I knew Sean well, and Sean 100% believed that God was going to heal that cancer, and he stood on it, and there was not one iota of doubt whatsoever. It was certain as far as he was concerned. It was settled, and yet it didn't happen. So what's going on? Let's look at James chapter 1 for a minute. James chapter 1, towards the back of your Bible, you might hold your place in Acts. You get to Revelation and then kind of work your way forward back through First and Second John. Pretty quick, you're going to come to the little book of James. James chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. Here we're given some instruction about prayer. And there are other passages I could have chosen for this that are very similar. I chose this one because it, it encapsulates more of what I want to tell you. But in James chapter 1, beginning verse 5, God speaks about praying for wisdom, but I think it applies to more than just praying for wisdom. He says, if you need wisdom, then ask or pray to our generous God and He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask Him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that's blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Now, I'm telling you, most of you who've had any instruction in prayer, you've had pretty significant uh, explanations of, of this passage. You've heard this passage taught. But I want to talk about two specific words in this passage. First of all, he says that whenever we're going to God to ask Him for something, we need to make sure that our faith is in God. What is faith? What is faith? It's a real interesting word because when I begin kind of unraveling this, I don't always do a lot of Greek studies, but but if there's key words, sometimes I go back and look at that. And so when I look at this in the Greek, I find a very interesting word. Every place except the Scripture. In other words, if you go back and you just take a piece of literature from this time that was written for any other purpose except Scripture, this word that is used for faith is actually the word warranty. Warranty. Isn't that interesting? And what is a warranty? Well, a warranty is whenever we purchase something and the manufacturer tells us if something goes wrong with this product in this given amount of time, then we've got you back. We've got you covered. It's going to be okay. It's on us. It's not on you. It's on us. That's our promise to you. Now, some of you like to drive new cars. Maybe all of us like to drive new cars. I don't know. Maybe all of us can't afford new cars, but but a lot of us like to drive new cars. And the reason that some people like to drive new cars doesn't have anything to do so much with the new car smell or anything like that. It has to do with the fact that you really hate surprises. You hate unexpected expenses. You hate being left on the side of the road. All of those kinds of things. And so you like to keep a current car because why? There's a warranty right and that means for a significant period of time and a significant number of miles you can drive your car and it's worry-free because the manufacturer has said if this car breaks down within this time period or this many miles it's not on you it's on us we like that and this word that we find in the bible is warranty god has made some promises to us in his word hadn't he there are things that God tells us that He definitely will do. There, there are things that we can count on, and we've got to have faith that He will honor His word. You know, if you were to go down there remember 2008, I bet you do, I do. 2008, we had a financial collapse, and there were car companies filing bankruptcy, right? Now, if you were to go down and buy you a car during that time and and you heard that this car company might not still be in business, would you go buy a new car from them? No. Why? Because you would be afraid that they might not could honor the warranty. Faith is believing that God is a God of His Word. That what he has said, that he will do. And so we believe in the trustworthiness and the faithfulness of God. That's faith. But there's another word I want to look at here. And it's it's the word waver. It says, but when you ask him, verse 6, be sure that your faith is in God alone. We've looked at that. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Many of your bibles may use the word doubt. Most versions do. But I will tell you that the NLT gets it correct. Waver here, waver is the correct word in this case. And there is a difference between wavering and doubt. How about them cowboys? Six and six. Not too whoop, is it? Not what we expected, is it? If you were to ask me after church today, Brother Gary, do you think the Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl? You know what I'd say? I doubt it. What do I mean by doubt it? I mean, I don't think so. I don't believe it. I I may mean not only that I don't believe that they will, I may even be implying that I don't even believe that they can. Maybe there's something flawed in their team that they're simply not the material there to make a Super Bowl run. So whenever I say I doubt it, I'm just saying, no, I don't think so, I don't think it's going to happen. But that's not the word that he's using here. He's using the word waiver, and that's quite a different word. Suppose I went down to the boot barn. And I was going to get me a new pair of boots. And so I start looking, and and I find a great pair of Luke Casey boots. I put them on. They fit well. They look good. I, I like them. But then I see a pair of Ariats, and I try them on. And man, they're good, too. They're really nice, too. And so I, I walk around in one and I go look in the little mirror and I think about it. And I say, well, maybe I'll get these and then I'll put the other pair on. I don't know. And I mean, the more I think about it, the more tangled up I get. I don't know. Do I want these or do I want those? I don't know. Finally, I may get so frustrated that I just leave because I can't make up my mind. That's the kind of word that's being used here. Do not waver. It's it's not a word about doubt as much as it's a word about confusion. It's speaking to a mind that doesn't know what to believe. It can't get settled. It can't can't just really settle down and, and, and take a position. In the Old Testament, there's a story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And you may remember, they go up on the, con- on, on the mountain and there's going to be a contest. And it's going to be between, be between the Lord Lord's prophet, who is Elijah, and the prophets of Baal. And Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, he said, you guys build an altar. He said, get it all ready, get it all prepared, and then pray to your God and ask Him to burn it up by fire. And then I will do the same, I'll make an altar, I'll put my sacrifice on it, and I'll pray to God to take it by fire, and whichever God answers by fire, that's, that's God, right? And so they do that. And the prophets of Baal, they dance around the fire, and they cut themselves, and they yell, and they scream, and they babble, and they holler, and they cry. I mean, they're praying earnestly. And then Elijah prays, simple prayer. And the fire of God falls down and it burns up the sacrifice and burns up the rocks and licks up the water that's been poured over the sacrifice and even chars the ground. And then Elijah says this. He says, how long will you waver? How long will you waver between two opinions? If Baal is God, then serve him. But if the Lord is God, serve him. That's the word we're looking at. Make up your mind. And so what James is telling us here is that we have to believe that God is a trustworthy God who is a God of His Word, but we also have to be very, very settled that God can do what He has promised us He will do. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, that if we come to God, we must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who diligently seek Him. So, if we find ourselves in trouble or we find ourselves in need and we don't know where to turn, what should we do, brothers and sisters? Pray. We ought to go to the Lord and ask Him, Well, why should we do that? Well, because the Lord promises that He will hear us and He will answer our prayer. Our our minds as Christian brothers and sisters has to be settled on that score. We have to believe that there is a God and that this God hears us and that this God is willing to respond to our prayers whenever we go to Him. That's what faith without wavering is. But there is a real critical point that needs to be made here. Believing that God can intervene for us is different than knowing that God will intervene for us. Believing that, can, that God can do a thing is different that believe, than believing that God will do a thing. Let me give you some examples. Let's suppose that I have an elderly grandfather. Some, to some of you, this won't sound too elderly, but I'm trying to put a realistic age here. Let's say I have a grandfather. He's 75 or 80 years old, somewhere in there. And he gets very sick. And he goes to the hospital, and and, and the doctor's giving him a prognosis that is not good. And matter of fact, they may say to our grandfather, you know what, we really don't think you're going to make it. Well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're going to go to the Lord, and we're going to pray for our grandfather. Do we know what's going to happen next? No. Let me try another one. Let's suppose that I have been wanting and desiring in my heart a promotion at work. I've taken all the classes. I've done all of the work that I'm supposed to do to qualify me for that position. I've tried to position myself well. I've tried to build the right relationships. I've tried to do a good job in the post where I'm at now. And finally that position is open. And I'm really hoping to step into that. And so wanting to step into that, what do I do? I go to the Lord. Try to get a little thumb on the scale, right? And I pray and I say, now, Lord, you know how I've wanted this. You know how I've prepared for it. You know how this will help my family. I'll be able to give more to your work. I'll be able to give more time. I mean, there's so many benefits. Lord, I'm asking you. Let this turn out for good. Let me get that promotion. Do I know what's going to happen next? No, I don't. Why not? Why not? let me try one more let's say i want an rv i'm getting to the age where i could think about an rv right people like to go and see the country whenever they've got a few miles on the odometer maybe i'm thinking that way and i i say lord i i would really like to have an rv that would be a very nice retirement also lord i figured out some cool ways i can use this for your kingdom Because as I go around, I can stop at some rodeos and some arenas around the country and I can pray and be a presence for you wherever I go. It'll just be awesome, Lord, and I'm just asking you, you know, give me an RV. Will I get it? I don't know. Why do I not know? Why do I not know? know? Why do I not know if God's going to heal my grandfather? Why do I not know God's going to give me a promotion? Why do I not know whether God's going to give me an RV or not? Why do I not know? Because it's up to God. It's according to His will. Look at the book of uh, 1 John. We're not very far from it right now. Just move a little further back in your Bible. The little book of 1 John, chapter 5, verse 14. 1 John, chapter 5, verse 14. This is a prayer promise. 1 John 5.14 says, And we are confident that He, God, hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases Him. And since we know He hears us when we make our request, we also know that He will give us what we ask for. Essentially, it says that if we ask for anything according to God's will, we shall have it. But the problem that we have, guys is that a lot of times, we don't really know what God's will is, do we? Why? Some of you said it earlier, because we're not God. Nobody knows God's will perfectly except God Himself. No human being knows it completely. Now, there may be things that I want, there may be things that I think are in God's will, and it's okay for me to go ask Him for them, But if I pray for something that's outside of God's will, I don't care how earnestly I pray. I don't care how hard I pray. I don't care how long I pray. If it's outside of God's will, guess what? It's not going to happen. But if it's in God's will, if it's in God's will, that's a different thing altogether. In fact, let me tell you something, guys. Whenever we go to the Lord in prayer, if we are praying according to His will, that prayer is going to come to pass even if our prayer isn't perfect. As a matter of fact, I would say to you that our prayers can be deeply, deeply flawed and sometimes still be 100% effective. I want you to go back to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter twelve, and while you're turning there, let me ask you a question Now we're going back to Acts chapter twelve. This is where Peter was in prison, and the church was playing, praying earnestly for him. Do you think that their prayer was effective? Oh absolutely listen if i'm pray- if I've got someone in prison and I'm praying Lord, I just I ask that you do something you intervene on his behalf, and the Lord Drops the chains off of him. Throws the prison doors open. Sends an angel to escort him out. I don't think prayer gets more effective than that. That's about as good as you get. 100% effective. But why was it effective? Why was it effective? Well, let's look at why it wasn't effective first. Let's look at uh, Acts chapter 12. And uh, this time we're going to be at verse 11. Verse 11. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true. He said, The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do for me. And when he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, mother of John Mark, where many had gathered for prayer. And he knocked at the door in the gate and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter's standing at the door. They replied you are out of your mind. Do you think when they were praying, they were praying without doubt? Do you think that whenever they were praying, that there was 100% certainty that what they were praying was going to come to pass? Absolutely not. They absolutely, most of them, had no conception that their prayer was actually going to work. They didn't believe for a minute that Peter was really going to get out of jail. Well, why then did God answer their prayer? Because it was according to His will. And their hearts matched what was in the heart of God. And God honored their prayer. And the prison doors were thrown open. And what I want you to see, guys, is this. The results of our prayer does not necessarily depend upon the quality of our prayer. Nor does it depend upon the steadfastness of our belief. Because the power in prayer is not in what we do. It is in what God does. Our prayer doesn't do anything. God is the power behind the prayer that does whatever it is that's going to happen. And so the believers in Acts 12 did not know in their heart of hearts whether or not God was going to release Peter. After all, he hadn't released James, right? Right? James was already dead. So they didn't have any way of knowing that God was going to release Peter. So why did they pray? They didn't know. Why did they pray? Because they knew that God could. They didn't know if God would. But they certainly knew that God could. And so they went to God with their hat in their hands. You know what that means? You know, that's when you take your hat off and you got your hat in your hand. That's a position of humility. They went to God with their hat in their hands and they said, Lord, see the problem we have. See how they have already taken James and killed him. And now they have Peter, the one that we all look to, who is really the... the, the, premier figure in your church and they're going to have a show trial and they're going to put him to death and Lord we don't know what to do and we're crying out to you and we're asking you Lord intervene and God intervened because of the humility that was in their heart but also because they were praying according to his will and I would say to you this morning that those desperate hat-in-the-hand kind of prayers move the heart of God more than any other kind of praying that we can do. As a matter of fact, one of the most well-known passages of prayer in all the Scripture comes to us from Second Chronicles 7, and you don't need to turn there. You'll recognize this first. I'm going to read it to you from the King James. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal their land. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, and seek my face. Humility is important to God. I mean, the Bible tells us that what? God gives grace to the humble, amen? He hears those prayers that are lifted up. I think that prayer should always be an act of humility. Because the truth of the matter is, we bring nothing to it except our brokenness and our desires and our needs and our hurts. But we don't bring the power to accomplish anything. That power comes from God. So we must go to Him in humility. You know, if we as many Christians do, if we take teachings from the Scripture about prayer, such as James chapter 1 that we've looked at, if we took James to mean that you always need to understand exactly what it is you're asking God for, and you must pray for that very, very specifically and carefully, And then you must believe 100% that what you've specifically prayed for is going to come to pass. Guys, if that is what prayer is, if that's the only way prayer is going to be answered, that puts an incredible burden on us, doesn't it? And and more than that, how can we ever go to God with 100% certainty since the only person who perfectly knows the will of God is God Himself? But there is one thing we can always do. We can always go to God with our hat in our hand and say, Lord, here is my need, and I know who you are, and I know your character, and I know your nature, and I know your promises, and I know you're able, and I'm coming to you because I don't know where else to turn. That's one thing we can always do. And at the end of the day, that's what prayer really is. It's simply going to God with our hat in our hand and asking Him to help us because we don't know where else help is going to come from. We may not always do it right. We may not always say it right. We may not always believe it right. But if we come to Him in humility, with a burdened heart and try, it pleases God because it demonstrates to Him that we believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Guys, whenever we uh, go to God, because we're in over our heads and we absolutely know it, He is not going to slam the door of heaven on us simply because we don't get it right when we pray. He is always going to be open to hear our prayers of humility, maybe even more than all others, because it represents our brokenness and our dependence upon Him. And as I've said already, God gives grace to who? To the humble. And so if your heart is hurting this morning, And there's something going on in your life and you don't know where to turn. And and you have even been wavering about what to do about it. Let me just say to you this morning, don't be afraid to pray. You can't mess it up. You can't mess it up. Because the power of prayer doesn't depend upon you. It depends upon the power of God for whom nothing in this world is impossible. And that's why prayer is our number one value. That's why we believe in it. And that's why you don't have to be a professional and you don't have to understand it perfectly for it to work. You simply have to believe in God and His willingness to help you, and it can accomplish amazing, miraculous things in your life. Let's go to Him in prayer this morning. Gracious Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name. And we do thank you, Heavenly Father, for the gift of prayer, for the the mere fact that we have the ability to cry out to you and communicate to you and to know, Heavenly Father, that you hear us whenever we pray. Lord God, I thank you that you are um, a loving God and you know that we're not always going to get it right. And yet you stand ready to to answer us if we simply humble ourselves and cry out to you. And my belief, Heavenly Father, is that some of us have, have been wavering in our faith. In the sense of sometimes we, we just get to the point where we don't believe that you're going to move. That we don't believe that you're going to act. Or maybe we don't even believe that you're going uh, to... That, that, that you're... Uh, Even a God who can intervene. Lord, I would ask that you would forgive us for any such sin as that. Help us this morning to settle once and for all who you are. Help us to settle once and for all who we'll turn to in our time of need. Give us, Heavenly Father, an unwavering confidence and hope. Not because we know what the results are going to be, but because we know who you are. And we know that as your children, if we cry out to you, great things can happen. Father, I don't know who you're speaking to this morning. But I don't have any shadow of doubt that there's someone here and they are at the very, very end of their rope. And they have been perhaps afraid... Uh, perhaps frustrated for some reason they're not turning to you, I pray this morning that they would just release whatever it is in their heart. They would give it to you in prayer and that they would know, Heavenly Father, they are giving it to someone who is very, very trustworthy. Lord God, we love you again. We thank you for the gift of prayer. I pray that you do what you desire to do among us this morning. I lift it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. For this sermon and many more, check out our website at www.cowboyfaith.org.